Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Hard to believe it's already Tuesday, March 5th, but here we are. Lots of things going on in the world of agriculture today. Taking a look first at the markets, we're seeing green on the screen, particularly in the grains and energy complexes again today. More unrest between Russia and Ukraine. We'll cover some of those headlines here in just a minute. It is driving traders to cover some of their risk and manage it by getting along the grains. We've got corn up 11 to 14 cents, beans up 17 to 30. Wheat market moving right along today. Chicago wheat up 47 cents here as we start trading on this Wednesday. One of the things that is rocking the markets is additional sanctions from the EU on Russia. It was announced early this morning the EU nations will propose sweeping new sanctions against Russia. They are going to outright ban the import of coal, wood, chemicals, and an assortment of other products, smaller categories. All told, this is going to be worth about nine point, almost $10 billion uh, in euros um, a year is what the EU is looking at banning. They're going to ban another $10 billion or 10 billion euros worth of imports, including semiconductors, computers, technology needed for liquefying natural gas and other electrical and transport equipment. All of this coming from the EU, all of it designed to do two things. One, to you know, uh, draw down Russia's cash pile, and two, to encourage some of the well-trained high-tech workers to leave Russia. Uh, they've been encouraging these folks to to flee Russia, to move to Europe, move to America, and deny Russia some additional educational capital or intellectual capital. We'll see how that plays out as this goes on. But again, those further changes to global supply chains are stretching things. And we're going to talk supply chains a little bit later in the program. Dr. Zach Rogers is the assistant professor of supply chain management at Colorado State University. He is uh, really one of the lead architects behind a survey called the Logistics Managers Survey. It comes out every month and it takes a look at pressures in the supply chain. And he'll dive into that with us here in segment three. But as we're thinking about challenges faced in the supply chains, boy, some shippers are dealing with bigger challenges than others. Notably, shippers in the Black Sea are concerned about floating mines. Uh, the risk of coming across floating mines in the Black Sea is adding to perils for merchant ships. It was recently announced by the International Federation of Transport Workers that they are very concerned about floating mines, basically warheads, projectiles that are uh, suspended in the ocean and bump into ships and explode. So far in the Black Sea, two seafarers have been killed. Five merchant vessels have been hit by projectiles. One of those has sank off the coast of Ukraine. But the ITF, that International Transport Workers Federation, is encouraging governments to do all in their power to mitigate the threat of mines and to secure safe passage for vessels trading near these conflict areas. It's worth keeping in mind that the Black Sea, of course, is crucial for both Ukraine and Russia, but it's also shared by Bulgaria, Romania, Georgia, and Turkey. Those four countries have been out working to keep the sea lanes clear, and they have already discovered recent mines. Turkish and Romanian military diving teams announced they have diffused stray mines inside their territorial waters, and Russia and Ukraine have both accused each other of laying mines in the Black Sea in order to disrupt shipping. Hopefully we're not seeing any of those challenges for American shippers, but these floating mines and long-running challenges like this are what is going to keep freight costs elevated through that region, even if the war, the war were to come to an end. One of the reasons why freight costs are going to be elevated is the insurance industry that insures all of these vessels wants to make sure they've got a high enough premium to cover their risk should something happen. It was announced last month that the insurance industry, this is the consortium of insurers who get together, they have a joint war committee, and this committee looks at the risk factors laying around in war 
war-torn areas, and they decide how much premium needs to be added. And they widened the high-risk area in the waters around the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov. Now it includes the uh, areas close to Romania and Georgia. And they announced that, quote, if it transpires that there are significant numbers of live mines that exceed the littoral state abilities to contain them, then the Joint War Committee will move to reassess the listed areas. So they will be keeping a tight eye on this situation. However, we have seen some goods get out through the Black Sea, notably wheat. It was announced earlier this morning that wheat imports from Russia actually accelerated in March. They're up 24% from the same month in 2021. And that's according to data reported by Reuters. Uh, they said Russian wheat imports up that 24% figure. Ukrainian wheat imports down 42% year on year. Uh, several Indian-based traders said, that, or excuse me, Egypt-based traders said that this is due to a lot of reasons. One is just millers in Egypt really like the wheat from Russia and Ukraine. They're very comfortable using it, and they will pay a premium to secure it because it already works through every system they've got created. So some of these wheat purchases may have been secured, potentially even paid for, prior to the start of conflicts, and they are still able to get those delivered. They said that Russian ports have continued to be open, shipping wheat into Egypt, and they're going to continue to buy it, although they are getting nervous looking out to the future as sanctions continue to tighten down, even though food has been exempted from sanctions on Russia. So wheat purchases are still very legal. What the Egyptians are finding are that several private financing sources, notably banks, are balking at the idea of covering some of the trade out of Russia just because the risks are too high. So we do anticipate to see Egypt looking around the world for other wheat import suppliers as this goes on. And the wheat market sure is moving today. We will discuss that here in segment two. Dwayne Bossy of Bolt Marketing will be joining us. We'll break down just what else could be moving the markets here as we get throughout this week. One of the things moving in the markets today is crude oil. Continue to see that pressure to the upside. As of right now, oil is up slightly on the day, not quite a dollar. Still, West Texas Intermediate crude trading north of 100 right now, just shy of $104 a barrel. And that's in spite of President Joe Biden's announcement last week that the U.S. over the next six months will release 180 million barrels of oil from our strategic petroleum reserve. That kicked off a conversation on the international scene. Member states of the International Energy Agency are also looking to decide how much oil they could release together from their petroleum reserves. All in, they're a group of about 31 industrialized countries. These include uh, most of the folks who are EI EIA members, with the big exception, of course, of Russia. And so far, as of Friday, they have not agreed to a coordinated release, but they are working on putting those details together. The idea being we'll force more oil into the supply chains, and that will bring prices lower. There is also a huge report out from the UN International Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, issued a new report. As always, they continue to encourage developing green sources of energy. But in this report, the IPCC really zeroed in on demand. And they said we need to find ways to have the consumer cut their energy usage. We'll be talking about that, no doubt, over the next several months here on AOA. So stay with us. When we return, Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing will join us. Then it's Zach Rogers and John Sandbachen for the National Sunflower Association. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> Do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. 
We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <clears throat> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. The markets are moving today. Grains are sharply higher. We're seeing some upward pressure in the energy sector as well. A little bit of weakness, however, in livestock. Joining me today to help break down these market moves is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for talking to me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Let's look first and foremost here at the wheat market. Dwayne, we are really rocking and rolling higher. Was this basically on the uh, the report of crop progress that came out yesterday? I think it was two parts. Yeah, the crop progress really helped, and that probably caused the gap higher overnight. Hey, you know, the market had really pulled back and gone from an overbought situation due to the Ukraine-Russian war to uh, actually technically a little bit oversold. So when you get that bullish news that the crop conditions are, the, I think, the second worst in history for this time of year, yeah, you gapped higher and went. But also the Ukraine-Russia war feels like we need to put some war premium back in there you know, last week we started to sell off when Russia basically backed off from Kiev, and it looked like, okay, maybe the war had peaked, but ooh, some nasty comments back and forth, and definitely some concern about getting that uh, spring wheat crop planted and the corn crop planted in Ukraine has got this market higher today, and feeling like we need to add that war premium back in here. Yeah, it certainly seems like we might be needing to add some back, and particularly in that spring wheat market. Dwayne, what do you think planting is going to do here? I know you talk to growers across the Dakotas. What do you think U.S. spring wheat acres are going to look like? Well, I, I, first, I better admit that I was wrong on last week's report. I thought the spring wheat acres would have been higher, Mike. I really did. What, you know, ten, fifty, eleven dollar new crop spring wheat. I thought, man, guys who are on the board of, I want to plant wheat, but it's not profitable. I like, well, here you go this year. But you know, a lot of smart people told me it wouldn't happen in North Dakota, and that's the truth. Actually, spring wheat acres were down there. Where they did increase was Montana, which. 
concerns me actually just a little bit because Montana's soils are actually drier than even western North Dakota soils right now. So I still think those acres do creep back up just a little bit, especially if we can keep the war premium in there and get back above $11 for September spring wheat. But the problem, Mike, is if I if I add acres to spring wheat, you're going to probably ask me where am I taking away from. And corn and soybeans can't really give it up either. So I, I don't know where I'm pulling these acres from. So it's just in general, a bullish situation after last week. They didn't find anything more than the 317 million principal crop acres, same as last year. And with that question coming, Dwayne, soybean acreage, where do you think it goes from here? I, I think that one will, will probably uh, lose a little bit of acres. I was surprised to see them that high. I really thought, you know, just once you got above $6 corn, of course, now we're $7 D's corn, that, that it would just buy acres no matter what, even if fertilizer prices were high. But that wasn't the truth here, was it? At least at least for planting intentions anyway. Farmers really said, gosh, I'll back off and take less risk, less capital investment and plant the, the soybeans. But I, I think with these corn going above seven now, you'll maybe see a half million to a million acre shift back between those two crops. Corn will gain some acres and beans will give it up a little bit. But uh, I got to tell you that... That bean thing to me is is still pretty friendly. I think export demand is stronger than we anticipate. I, I think China, after a two-day holiday here, will come back, and, and hopefully we'll see some daily sales announcements. P&W basis has improved. So I'm taking acres away from soybeans, but I think they need to keep them as well. So I, as a producer myself, I'm a little bit all smiles this week, actually. <laughs> a little bit all smiles. You know, you mentioned China coming into the market. We did see them step into the corn market. Dwayne, do you expect to see international demand for U.S. corn stay strong here through the summer? It, it really should. I know the trade was a little bit disappointed how long it took to to see that China demand come in for corn. But, you know, you look yesterday in the weekly export shipments report, they were the largest uh, not buyer, but the largest destination for where our corn was going. Now, yeah, we wanted to see you know, all the 7 to 10 million metric ton that they bought from Ukraine switched to us just on an instant. And that just doesn't happen. Uh, China's pretty smart about that. But I think when they saw the acreage report last week, they decided, ah, this corn market isn't going to go for sale anytime soon. So they did step in and buy some, like you said yesterday we saw. And, and they probably continue to do that a little bit. Um, do I think they'll want to wait as long as they can and buy it from Brazil? Probably, but Brazil got a little dry here recently, too, and so that safrina crop isn't out of the weather story quite yet, so we better keep an eye on that moving forward as well. Indeed, with that safrina crop still having a couple, you know, three weeks to go here to get through pollination, what's your take on old crop corn? I know some growers have some bins they'd like to get cleaned out. What do you think, Dwayne? Hold tight. Still holding, believe it or not. Uh, last week we did hedge for a couple of days before the report, and then uh, this market is so odd, Mike, that it, it's a little depressing for me, too, that I actually felt like I had added more risk by hedging my old crop corn than just leaving it in the bend. So we, we exited our hedges, and, and we're staying that way. We still have it. I look for a better basis this summer, especially up here in the northwestern corn belt where we, we didn't have quite the big corn crop. So ah, I think we still hold we got a weather market in front of us. Um, I mean, I hate to say I think we can see eight, but that's what I'll put out there. It seems like it's a good possibility, so I'm still holding for a, a larger number. But put options are never a bad idea if somebody's uh, <laughs> a little nervous about hanging on to the old crop. Well, and I think just to clarify, you expect or, or you're hoping for $8 yeah. on old crop. <laughs> Dwayne, can we see an $8 handle on new crop? All you need is one weather scare, Mike, and I, I think you can get there. You know, you go back to the Russia-Ukraine thing, I mean, it's basically 7 million metric ton that they probably won't get exported of old crop. And, you know, early projections are maybe 20 million metric ton that they just won't even get planted of new crop. And then when you think of that new crop, I don't even know if they'll export any of it if the war is still going on. So, man, that's happening at a time where we're tight anyway. So, yeah, I think a weather scare around May 10th, if we can't get it all planted or the acres are dipping, there is a chance we see eight. Now, we're getting to price levels, Mike, I can't even ignore anymore, where I don't care if I'm bullish or not. The spreadsheet really does suggest you got to probably start scale-up selling from 710 on up, which was my plan. The, the thing with that, though, I, I think on years like this, it's small percentage sales and you actually have them a little wider apart you know you we used to have them about 20 cents apart well that's like just a two-day move now so you don't want to sell it all in a week so uh space them out and do small sales 
Space it out, small sales, get some of that risk managed. Dwayne, as we're talking about this, we're hearing $8 potential in the corn market. That's music to a lot of grain growers' ears, especially given the high input prices we're facing this year. But my goodness, for cattle feeders, for dairy producers, these feed costs keep climbing. Dwayne, where do you see feeder cattle going from here? Well, that's where I got to change my tune, I guess. I I don't see feeder cattle going up at all because of my bullish outlook. In fact, I'm really surprised that we held above the $180 mark for November feeders as long as we did. Uh, It seems like we maybe lost that this morning. Um, I I think feeder cattle can have a dead cat bounce because we have really dropped hard the last five or six trading sessions. But I think on that dead cat bounce, if you can see a 180 again, even a 179.5, I I think you got to hedge and protect your new calves that guys are out there working so hard to keep alive right now. Um, yeah, if I'm talking $8 corn, I, I think it's impossible to see $180 feeder cattle. So, And that's a great price, Mike. I mean, it's the highest we've been in about seven years, and it's still there. So even though we've fallen off the highs, it's still a good place to either hedge by selling the board or talk to someone about the LRP insurance. That's a good way to go as well. That's a great point. We've got a lot more tools in our toolboxes in 2022 than we had 10, 15 years ago, and that LRP is a great place to look. Dwayne, as you're thinking about the cattle market, obviously you work with a lot of cattle producers across the country. We've been really optimistic about the turn towards lower cattle numbers driving and supporting the price here in the live cattle complex. Is that happening? And do you think it'll happen soon enough to to drive these cash prices back north of 140, 145? I'm afraid it doesn't, and I, I know what we we're all thinking. And the futures market is obviously thinking the same thing, right? We we had due to drought, we had a lot of herd retraction, a lot of cows that were slaughtered. You know, maybe we didn't keep the heifer retention back like we normally do. That's why there's this big premium in deferred contracts. I'm worried, Mike, that we're uh, really a year out from seeing that. Uh, I think part of the reason is the massive drought in Canada has just actually pushed more livestock down here instead of bringing the high expensive feed up to there to feed them. So I'm worried, no, our cattle numbers are going to stay high. The last cattle on feed report really kind of showed that as well. So uh, I'm also bearish the cattle market, especially those deferred contracts. I just don't think we're going to get this premium we're all hoping to see this fall. Well, shoot. Dwayne, for our listeners who maybe want to get in touch with you, pick your brain a little bit more, how can they reach you? Where can they find you? Yeah, they can call us directly here at 605-448-2365, and they can always check us out online at boltmarketingllc.com. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Dwayne Bussy Bolt Marketing, always appreciate your insight, sir. Thanks, Mike. Anytime. And folks, stick around. When we return, we're going to turn our focus to the supply chain. Professor Zach Rogers of Colorado State will join us to discuss the most recent update to the Logistics Managers Index. Stick with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex premium diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. We take a look at the market trade so far on this Tuesday. Winter wheats are leading the grain complex higher with corded soybeans up moderately. Beans now seeing some uh, more strength as well as we work through our morning session. But winter wheat 
riding higher on the back of the lowest winter wheat crop ratings in 10 years, in over a decade, actually. And that's something we're watching very closely with money flowing into the broader commodity sector as well as global stocks tighten despite the mounting problems with COVID seen in China. Soaking rains were a welcome relief for drought-stricken plains winter wheat fields last month, but much damage was already done to the crop. Follow-through rains have been disappointing, especially for western areas. And as I mentioned, that uh, uh, wheat grabbing the headlines with USDA's first weekly crop progress and condition rating of the spring on Monday afternoon. As the market already worried about lost Black Sea supplies due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, seeing just 30% good to excellent on the national winter wheat crop. Meantime, corn just 2% planted with most of that happening in Texas, as we saw on that weekly crop progress report. And we see all the various news items surrounding the grain market. It continues to make commodities attractive to fund managers seeking a hedge against inflation risk. Right now, May corn up 12 at three quarters at 763 at a quarter. December corn up 10 at 709. May soybeans up 27 at a quarter, 1629 and a half. November up 14 at a quarter, 1454. May bean meal up 880 a ton, 463.90. May bean oil up 67.7301. May Chicago wheat 40 and a half higher, 1050 at three quarters. May Kansas City wheat up 42 and a half, 1080 at a quarter. May spring wheat up 22 at a quarter, 1107 at a quarter. April hogs up 45.9990 with feeder and live cattle down moderately. Crude oil up 57 cents a barrel, 103.85. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us here on AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We have been speaking since COVID got started about challenges facing the supply chain. Well, there is a metric out there of challenges faced by the supply chain. It's called the Logistics Managers Index. It's compiled by a team of professors in the supply chain space. And one of those professors is Dr. Zach Rogers. He's an assistant professor of supply chain management at Colorado State University. He's on the team that compiles this monthly survey, and he's joined Joining us today, Dr. Rogers, thanks for talking to us. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's get started with the details of the Logistics Managers Index. Zach, what are you tracking as a component of this survey? So every month, we send a survey out to a few hundred uh, uh, folks, and, and this is all director level and above. So it's people who have kind of a 20,000 foot view of the supply chain. And we ask them about inventory costs and levels and then warehousing and transportation, capacity, utilization, and prices. And what we ask them is, are those things going up? Are they staying the same? Or are they going down? And that allows us to compile a change index, similar to what the purchasing manager's index would be, where any number above 50 indicates growth, and the further above 50 it is, the greater the level of growth. And if it's below 50, we see contraction. Gotcha. That makes sense. So where does the index stand here in March of 2022? Well, probably unsurprisingly to people trying to uh, move goods around the country, it's at a 76.2. Now, this is on a scale of 0 to 100. So 76.2 is a really robust rate of growth. And in fact, in the six years we've been doing the Logistics Managers Index, it's the highest overall rate of growth 
that we've ever seen, and that's primarily driven by the high cost of inventory and the high cost of warehousing. So if we're seeing the logistics space grow, is that indicative that we're seeing more more funding, more employment, we're easing supply chain capacity long term, or as it grows, do we feel the pinch? So that's a that's a very nuanced question. Um, so on some level, yes, we are seeing growth. You know, we've We've added, I think, 35,000 uh, trucking jobs, uh, in, uh, although we lost a couple in March, but that could get adjusted out, uh, and, and thousands, of, you know, tens of thousands of warehouse jobs just in, in 2022. Um, and so jobs are growing really, really quickly. Here's the thing, though, is that we're, you know, throughout 2021, it was, wow, look at all those, those ships off the ports and supply chain, everything's getting so expensive. And companies were able to pass costs on to consumers for two reasons. One, we had all of the, the stimulus money. Um, and two, all of our spending was on goods um, and not services. You couldn't go to the movies or on a trip. And so all of that extra money we had was being spent on goods, like those goods uh, that were coming through the ports. If you go forward to today, we've spent through uh, most of our, our stimulus. Um, and the money we are spending has now increasingly shifted towards services because it's been two years and now you can finally go see grandma and, and everything's okay. And on top of that, and I, I just heard you talking about the Russia-Ukraine uh, a couple minutes ago, um, fuel prices have gone up significantly. Okay, so the, the cost of diesel uh, per gallon is up about 44 cent, uh, 44%. Uh, just in, in 2022. Uh, it was uh, $5.19 a gallon at the end of March, which would be the all-time high, uh, except it was $5.20 in the middle of March. Um, and so the cost of shipping has gotten very, very high, and it's more difficult to now pass these costs on consumers. You know, it was sort of like, okay, we're going to hit a point eventually where the costs get too high, and it was really just a matter of when we got to that point, and we have some evidence that says we got there this this month, specifically the, the second half of March. Okay, if we've gotten their highest cost ever in the history of the Logistics Managers Index, I mean, that is something else, Zach, but you mentioned could be nearing the top. Where do you start to see some breaks in these high costs develop? Is it, are we, is it all contingent on fuel costs coming down or are we seeing a change develop in warehousing as well? So warehousing will take uh, a lot longer to change, and, and that's for a couple of reasons. One is, um, you know, during the pandemic, we really did see a shift towards more e-commerce, uh, which soaks up a lot of warehouse space, particularly expensive warehouse space that's close to where people live. Um, you know, we went from, I think, about 11% uh, of all retail is e-commerce to now we're between 13 and 14%. We keep going back and forth, uh, which is, you know, billions and billions of dollars. Um, and so you need more warehouse space. Plus, those warehouses are full right now. Uh, you know, we mentioned all those ships that were backed up off, off the ports in California. Some of that stuff that was ordered, like, for Christmas just got unloaded at the end of February, uh, which was a bit late. And so we have all of this extra inventory that we didn't end up selling. And it's flood, like places like, you know, uh, um, TJ Maxx or Dollar General or Ross, they can't even take any more inventory right now because of, of how much extra came in. So warehouses will probably remain full and, and very expensive uh, for the foreseeable future. You know, we, we track capacity. And as I mentioned, any number below 50 um, means contraction. Right now, warehouse capacity is at 36, which not to sound like a broken record, is also a record uh, um, for, for March. It's the lowest number we've ever had uh, for warehouse capacity. So that's contracting very, very uh, quickly. With transportation to follow up. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please go on. Transportation's a huge oh, issue. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so with, with transportation, here's what's interesting. So if you look at capacity for the first half of, uh, of March, um, and, and you look specifically upstream. So this would be your retailers, your wholesalers, manufacturers, uh, you know, the, the, the ag industry, uh, you know, farmers and wholesalers as well. 
our our capacity for available trucks was a 40, and then for downstream, so it's retailers, it was 31. So both of those are, are extreme contraction uh, in available transportation. That's March 1st to March 15th. If you break that out and then look at March 16th, and this is where we see, oh my gosh, diesel's $5.20 a gallon at all-time record, suddenly we move from contraction in available inventory capacity to expansion, and we go from a 40 upstream to a 55. So that's our first reading of contraction uh, in any, or sorry, uh, it's our first reading of expansion rather in any transportation capacity metric since August of 2020. So more than 18 months, the second two weeks of March, we finally are seeing some uh, capacity loosening up. And it's this funny kind of counterintuitive thing where the costs of diesel have gotten so high that it's finally pushing down demand to a point where we are seeing some slack. Uh, we are seeing some slack in the market. And it could actually, and our numbers back this up, actually drive total prices down because trucking companies go from, I have my pick of anything, I'm only going to accept the most uh, expensive high volume loads to, oh man, there's some slack in the market. I, I have to start taking a lot of different types of loads even maybe low-value commodities or things that I wouldn't have accepted six months ago. Okay, so this could be the start in freeing up some transportation capacity. Zach, while we've got you on the line, we heard a lot when COVID first struck that this might be the call needed to bring manufacturing back to American shores. And then as it's developed, we've seen some folks just build inventory. As you look out over the next year to 18 months, do you think the supply chain will reorient itself to being America-based, or are we going to continue to just import over and maximize inventories here on our shores? So, so that's a that's a, a complex question. There's certain things, absolutely. You know, the White House put out a, a supply chain report that said, "Hey, there's certain things uh, for security issues that need to be in the United States." Intel is spending 20 billion dollars on a semiconductor fabrication uh, shop down in Phoenix. TSMC spending 15 million dollars on another semiconductor uh, uh, facility in in Arizona for fabrication. So things like that, um, you know, semiconductors pharma, battery, you know, high, high power battery stuff that is coming back. Other things like say shoes or clothes or toys, we're increasingly seeing near shoring. And so instead of, cause you know, it, it'd be tough to make the economic case to, to make jeans, for instance, in the United States. But given the disruption that we've seen, we will see, uh, you know, maybe a shift from Vietnam towards El Salvador or Mexico or Venezuela. And that does two things. One, it shortens supply chains, and then also it gives us more options. You know, there's only one way to get from, from Vietnam to, to the U.S. You, you gotta take a boat, or you could, you could do a plane, but you would never do that for something low margin, uh, like what they mostly make in Vietnam. But if you're coming from El Salvador, uh, you know, you could use a truck, a train, a boat. There, there's a lot of other um, intermodal options uh, that that make that a uh, little bit easier. As for the inventory question, that, that's very astute. And, and like I mentioned, inventories are very very high right now. Um, you know, we've we've added so much inventory in the first quarter of of 2022. Um, and and there's a couple reasons for that. One, things are getting here late. Um, two, uh, companies really learned the lessons from the recession that always being just in time and always having just enough, while it can be cost effective, if you know the, the tap gets turned off, you can run out of, of inventory really quickly. And then third, the, the last one here, is that um, the dock worker in the West Coast, their, their contract is up on July 1st. Yes, so we, we are gonna have oh, to discuss that contract time? renewal next time we get you on folks that's dr zach rogers assistant professor at colorado state university discussing the supply chain stick with us we'll talk sunflowers when aoa returns agriculture of america is brought to you by cenex premium diesel diesel that doesn't mess around vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, 
you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Matt Serdick, CHS Health and Safety Manager, about farm safety reminders and tips going into spring. Matt, with planting season right around the corner, what unique risks does farm work pose? That's a great question. And we're all familiar with the kind of the well-known risks, you know, the, the soft shoulders, the uh, always changing weather and the tight windows and the fatigue. But one of them that we want to talk about is rushing. And what that I mean by that is, you know, that feeling to hurry up and try to get things done. And, and what that can lead to is sometimes it's not thinking through the task or taking a shortcut to try to save a little time. And that can also lead to incidents. So it's talking about, you know, slowing down and, and kind of managing our processes, managing what we do on the day-to-day -day basis. So Matt, what can farmers do now to minimize those risks? It really comes down to preparation, you know, uh, making sure you have a plan. Usually when we see rushing within our operations, it's, it's, it's not from a planning standpoint. It's, it's we're trying to have that overwhelming feeling to try to get everything done at once. So having that plan goes a long ways, really it goes down to maintenance. When we start rushing, it's because things start to break down or our equipment starts to break down. So having a good maintenance plan with our equipment, making sure we're keeping up on lights and reflectors and things like that. So when we get into the season, it can be a smooth season. And really the last one comes down to communication. You know, when we start to move quickly, it's important that we know who is in and around our equipment when we're out in the field, when we're out on the farm, just making sure that we're communicating with those that are working with us. They know what we're doing. We know what they're doing. Um, that can go a long ways. That's Matt Serdick, CHS Health and Safety Manager. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Tough 5EC is a selective contact post-emergent herbicide that synergizes HPPD inhibitors and enhances the effect of atrazine. Tough 5EC works fast and can significantly improve the control of weeds such as waterhemp, palmer, and kochia today and help prevent the selection of herbicide resistance tomorrow. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it's been six weeks since Russia invaded Ukraine and sent global supply chains for traded commodities haywire. One of the most impacted commodities has been sunflowers, both for seeds and for oil. Russia and Ukraine, huge exporters globally of sunflower oil. And American sunflower growers have been the beneficiary. Joining me to discuss the sunflower industry here in this country is John Sandbachen. He's the director executive director, I should say, of the National Sunflower Association, the NSA. John, thanks for joining us today. Well, Mike, thank you for having me on your program today. Let's talk about what has happened in the sunflower market. John, prices, are they record yet here in the U.S.? Well, you know, for our new crop price, we're definitely at a record. Our old record was $30 a hundredweight, and right now we're pushing $34. And uh, for the old crop side of things, we had about 38.80, and we're at 38.50, so we're just about there, and looking like we're going to move toward 40 dollars right now. I mean, those are massive price increases over the past several years, John. We just saw the planting expect uh, planting expectations report from USDA. What do America? How many acres do American farmers plan to uh, plant to sunflowers this year? Well, you know, we're looking at, you know, according to USDA, about a 10% increase in acres, so it would be a little over 1.4 million acres. But, you know, overall, with with the demand that's out there right now for seed and for oil, we were expecting that to be closer to 25% increase. And, um, you know, definitely the demand is there. And when you look at where pricing is at, I mean, it, it's going to probably be pretty close to that, I hope. John, you mentioned the, the demand for seed, the demand for oil. As we think of sunflower production in this country, what do we grow more for? Do we angle towards the seed market or do we angle towards the oil market? It's more so toward the oil market. About 80% of our acres are planted for oil production or they go into the bird food market and the remaining 20% is for the confectionery seed. Okay, gotcha. That's how that breaks down. John, as producers are, are thinking about maybe changing up their crop rotation here as we head into the planting season, what sort of requirements are needed for sunflowers to really thrive here in this country? Well, you know, you, you want to be in an area that would have, you know, good moisture, but not excessive moisture, because obviously that's going to, you know, there might be more disease issues. Uh, but overall, it fits in very well with the rotation with wheat and corn. Um, and just is, is a broadleaf is, is a very good crop to have in your rotation. It certainly is. And as we think about the quality of the U.S. sunflower crop, particularly as we're talking on the international market, John, I know the NSA runs the Sunflower Crop Quality Report. Can you tell us a little bit, how did we fare in 2021's crop production? Well, you know, we, we had a very good crop overall. I mean, oil contents were very high. One thing about drought or in dry conditions, and a lot of the sunflowers this past year were produced in dry conditions, is it really packs on the oil. And overall, test weights are really high, and, and the quality of the crop was just beautiful. It's one of the best crops we've had in quite a few years. And I think what happened in a lot of cases was that the yields that, that growers obtained, given the dry conditions, they were just extremely impressed with how well sunflower did. Well, that dryness is continuing, John, particularly up in your neck of the woods in the Northern Plains. Is that changing any growers' planting decisions here? Have you heard? You know, I've talked to some guys recently here that they're saying, you know what, it's getting a little bit drier. And in a lot of cases, you know, they remember how well their sunflowers did last year. And a lot of guys are looking to add acres this year from what I've heard, you know, versus some other crops that might be a little bit more water intensive and, you know, you know, just might have a little bit more uncertainty to them. That certainly makes sense. Certainty is crucial this year for folks who maybe aren't familiar with soybean production practice, excuse me, sunflower production practices in this country. Are most of these sunflowers produced under contract, John, or is there a market for growers to plant a few acres and give it a try? Well, you know, not all of it is contracted. Most of the confection seed is, is contracted, but for the oil side, you know, there, there's a lot of open market acres and, and a lot of different outlets that, that producers can sell the crop into. And so some farmers usually contract part of their crop, but then they also keep part of it to play with the market and, and see where things are going to go. And obviously this year with where prices are at, I mean, they're going to stay firm throughout the year. Well, and I think that's the big question is growers are thinking about maybe adding another crop. The question is how long will these prices stay elevated? And John, you think they'll last throughout 2022. Is there the possibility they could extend into 2023? 
you know, a lot of it, it's going to depend on what happens, you know, with the war in Ukraine. Um, right now, there, there's a lot of uncertainty as to how much they're going to be able to plant and if they're even going to be able to ship any product. Uh, right now, all the ports are shut down. And, you know, the likelihood of them producing the crop that they would normally produce is probably uh, on the low side. So if they can't grow the crop this year, well, in 2023, there's going to be also some carryover that year also for this crop. So um, prices look, look to be good, you know, for, for the next at least 12 to 18 months. John, on the processing side, have these prices spurred any new processors into production? You know, we, we still have we have the same processors that we have had. But, you know, I know, for example, on the crush side, what they're doing is knowing that there's more demand for oil, they're going to be increasing the amount that they can crush. That's one of the things that they've done is try to get add more capacity. And I've got to imagine that's probably going to continue. Is that what your sources in the industry are saying? Well, you know, when you look at sunflower oil consumption, most of the oil we produce in the U.S. is used in the U.S. And just in the last five years, we've seen a 50% increase in sunflower oil usage in the U.S. So the market here is growing just exponentially and, and looks to be continuing that way for the next, you know, foreseeable future. That is exciting. It's neat to see these profitable break-evens on so many different crops that can be grown here across the country. John, if we've got listeners who are curious about sunflowers, they want to learn a little bit more about your sector of agriculture, where can they go to learn more? Well, you know, probably one of the best places to, to learn a little bit more is on our website at www.sunflowernsa.com. It's sort of the catch-all source for all sunflower information. Fantastic, folks. Check that out, sunflowernsa.com. We've been talking to John Sandbach and the executive director of the NSA. That's the National Sunflower Association. John, thanks for joining us today. He thanks, Mike, for having me on your program. And folks, tune in to AOA tomorrow. We'll be discussing the cattle industry and we'll take a look at how the trucking industry is adapting to all of these changes here throughout COVID. Tune in on to oh, Wednesday is tomorrow here to AOA. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Wallet, check. And, oh, phone, uh, check. Keys, check. Lunch, check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long, but what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall, but it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.